This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Welcome to Hashtag Storytime, the podcast where I bring you everyday stories from everyday people, brought to you by iHeartRadio and Curativity. I'm your host, Will, the hardest working man in show business, McFadden. Guys, it's episode six? What is this? Episode six? And I am exhausted. Making a podcast is hard. It's a feat. I don't think you guys understand how much goes into this thing that only a few of you are listening to. And generates little to no income. So I'm going to peel back the curtain and show you how the sausage is made. Okay, I'm going to invite you and bring you in to my sausage party. Suck on that, Seth Rogen, so that you may have a taste of my podcast sausage. Okay, so first order of business when creating an episode of Hashtag Storytime is we have to find a guest. Um, because absolutely nobody wants to listen to an episode that's just me talking for 30 minutes. And the challenge in finding a guest is we have to find somebody who doesn't like money because uh, we don't pay them. So that's always challenging. And uh, somebody who has free time on their hand and most importantly, has a good story to tell. But luckily, I have an amazing producer named Jason who does all of that for me. And then second, we've got to record with the guest. And, you know, that takes equipment that someone graciously purchased and set up for me. And then 
we got to write a script and we got to write jokes, if you can call them that. You know, I'm I, that was one right there. Uh, thankfully, Jason also does this for me. Um, note to Jason, if uh, in the future episodes, if the jokes could be funnier, that would be preferable. Then I get into the studio and by studio, I mean closet and i record these quote-unquote jokes and i send all of this crazy crap off to my editor tony who literally does everything and tony sends it back with a nice shiny bow on it and sounds all pretty and crisp and that's the final product that gets delivered directly to your little earbuds and then you think we'd be done right but wrong because we also have to promote the show and we have to make social media content to do that. And that's, I mean, I don't know how to do that. So thankfully I have two more producers, Danielle and Jordan, who make really awesome, engaging content for our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you're not following us there, you should go do that. You're missing out. Oh God. I mean, it is a lot of work. I mean, I'm ready for a nap just talking about it. Oh, wait. Also shout out to Jessica and Ron. They do a lot of stuff too. So, I mean, as you can see, I'm pretty much the hardest working man in show business. Kind of like the James Brown of this podcast. Which leads me to our story today from Noel Brown. You might know Noel from Ridiculous History and a ton of other iHeart podcasts, but Noel and I sat down and he told me a story that involved his first job, James Brown, and a possessed microphone stand. When I was in late high school early college for probably a span of about four years, five years maybe, I worked at Jay's Music, which okay. was a uh, music store in my hometown of Augusta. And it's the kind of job where when you're like a teenager, you know, you get to go to the music store, you're into guitars and drums and things. You think that's where you, that's what you want in your life. That, right. could, that could be the, like, that's the best possible job opportunity is to work in that place that you like to hang out in. Um, but as happens with, with a lot of jobs, you know, when you kind of part the curtain and realize how the sausage is made uh it sort of sucks some of the magic out of it and it definitely did that it wasn't um, wasn't quite the empire records experience that you were well looking for. one of the owners had the worst case of obsessive compulsive disorder that i've ever uh, experienced in my entire life okay and for whatever reason for a time, I was her go-to person to help her check in merchandise. Um, the store was always a wreck. It was always just kind of like stacks of boxes. She was always, quote-unquote, uh, catching up. Um, but this was a, a permanent state of affairs, this catching up. Everything always job, on fire. Yeah. Exactly. And my job was to sit with her while she, you know, went through these invoices and checked off the items that were in the boxes of the shipments. And then, you know, I would take them and put them on the shelf, tag them, etc. cetera. Right. Um, just, just to show you how deep her OCD extended, a drum set typically comes shipped in two very large boxes. Okay. Uh, very, very large. One of them has like the kick drum and within that is nested like the snare drum and some other hardware and things. And the other one has all of the Tom Tom drums like kind of nested within each other. Right. She would like count them. One, two. Okay, count it back to me. And I'd go one, two. And she'd go, okay, okay, okay. I count it back to me slow, again. Slow down. One, slow, slow it down. Two. And I'd be like, one, two. Okay, one more time. And then we're good. And and this is, you know, obviously this is a serious condition and, right. and she um, wasn't medicated for it. I don't believe. And if she was, it, it definitely wasn't working. Um, she was also a very unpleasant person. <laughs> so it was just kind of one thing um, adding on to the other. Right. Um, but there was one kind of magical 
um, thing that happened every year um, mm-hmm. that I always looked forward to. There were a couple of things, actually. So one of them was um, this was in Augusta, Georgia, which is the home of two things, James Brown and the Masters Golf Tournament. Uh, James <laughs> Brown was born there, and he lived there up until he passed away, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Masters Golf Tournament to this day continues to, to be held there right next to where Jay's music uh, was. It is no longer there because the Augusta National Um, basically has been buying up every piece of property around the golf course for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jay's was the lone holdout for a long time, and I guess they finally offered him enough money, um, so now it's just, like, bulldozed, and it doesn't exist anymore. Um, You know, if if Augusta was cool, if the Masters was cool, they would have had James Brown play there every year. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm sure you know (laughs) that the the history of the Masters and probably of golf in general has a pretty checkered racial, uh, you know, bias kind of past. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was, you know, they only let Tiger Woods play because he was, like, super awesome and wasn't, like, that black. Um, So, uh, in fact, Dave Chappelle, when he he did a stand-up bit, um, when he played in Augusta, Mm. and he walked on stage and said, welcome to Augusta, Georgia, (laughs) the whitest and blackest city in America, Um, which I I, I thought was was very funny. Um, So the Masters was fun because we'd close the store, essentially, and then us kids would just uh, would park cars, you know, and um, we'd sometimes get tips and things like that. And it was just like an excuse to not have to really work and just kind of hang out and chat and, you know, smoke weed and stuff. And it was pretty awesome. Right. Um, The other favorite part of the year was James Brown related. Mm-hmm. Um, every year, James Brown would rent uh, a bunch of equipment from Jay's to do rehearsals for his upcoming tours. He was, you know, he's known as the hardest working man in show business, right. which meant he was on the road constantly. Just after you, and, you know, well, well, second exactly, hardest working uh, man. We do share a last name, in fact, um, but no no relation, <laughs> only in work ethic when it, when it comes to show business. Um, but he, his, his management or, or whatever figured it was a, a easier to rent equipment from Jay's, including the drums down to every single thing, you know, guitars, guitar amps, all of, uh, you know, the whole, the whole nine Mm -hmm. and uh, set it up in this local theater called the Imperial theater. It was cheaper to do that than it was to take their stuff off of the road or off of their like storage. Cause they were, they were playing internationally. They were always all over the place. So me and my coworkers every year, um, sometimes maybe it happened twice a year. I, I'm just kind of getting a little hazy, but we would take whatever they needed, go to the Imperial Theater, set it all up, including chairs for the horn sections and, you know, everything. We kind of get, like, you know, told where to put things by uh, uh, James's road manager, or Mr. Brown, excuse me, if you ever called him anything but Mr. Brown, you'd get in big trouble. Right. Um, he was very, very formal guy. Uh, Mr. Brown's road manager would tell us where to put everything. We'd set everything up, um, mic everything up, including, like, PA, monitors, microphones, everything on oh, the wow. stage. So literally on the stage at the Imperial Theater, which is this really cool old theater in Augusta where I also used to work I, I after my Jay's days I was a live sound guy for a period and I uh, worked at the Imperial Theater doing sound for theater productions and live bands and all of that but this was just before that um, so you were a ro- essentially a like a roadie for James Brown it was a roadie, a miniature roadie, you know, for a day. Right. For, it was actually more than a day because it was like we'd have the setup, the load in, and then they'd practice for like two or three days. And then we'd come back at the end and pick it all up. Right. Um, and my 
good friend still to this day, a guy named J.J. Bowers, um, was the sort of senior member of the Jay's music staff. And by that, I mean, at the time, he was probably like, what, like 24, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? He and was, I was like... He was the veteran. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I guess I was, I must have been 17 or 18, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, isn't it weird how age, like, you know, in retrospect, you know, seniors in high school when you're in fifth grade seem like they may as well be like 50, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, from where you stand. It was kind of like that. I looked up to J.J. Yeah. He was best drummer to this day that i've ever known in my life absolutely he can almost musician. rent a car he's so awesome right Incre incredible um that's the kind of stuff we talked about you know yeah. um, but i you know wasn't even old enough to drink yet um just driving barely for a for a handful of years at this point so we'd set up all the stuff then we'd go back to the store which is a drag because it was like oh man the the, the fun you know little diversion um is now done mm -hmm. and now we have to go back to having to sell taylor guitars and you know uh I was the guy that like restrung all the guitars and did all the repairs and things, which was fun. I definitely learned a lot, but it was also like under the watchful eye of, uh, of the owner of the store, uh, mm -hmm. whose name was Vera. Um, it was very stern task mistress as, uh, as I've, as I've kind of, uh, made clear, I think. Right. Um, but, we always had to look forward to when we get to go back and take everything down because then we get to hang out with JJ. We kind of got to take our time. It wasn't like, you know, it was it was in the evening usually, even though that was like technically we were working overtime to do this <laughs> in our minds, you know, our teenage minds. It was like a privilege to be able to do this. Yeah. So I go back to um, the, the theater and I, I, I realized that they're not finished yet. They're, they're actually not done um rehearsing and so i'm standing outside with you know my my buddy at the time who i was working with and we're listening to them like wrap up their set and you know i mean i don't know if you ever saw james brown live but this is like super theatrical incredible funky you know horns and you know everyone in his band is at the top of their game he was notorious for like if if someone in the band like made a mistake mm -hmm. you know while they were playing he would just kind of covertly say gotcha and point at him and you know if, if you've ever listened to many James Brown songs, a lot of the lyrics, quote unquote, are really just him kind of riffing and going, chip, 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 yeah, take he, it to he, the bridge. He could he, he, he slip a gotcha in there and no one would be the wiser, <laughs> but the band member would know, okay, that means I'm getting my pay docked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did. Like, I heard stories about him in the studio, too. If, you know, if they made a mistake that they would get their, their pay docked. That's right. He was all about efficiency. That's right. Um, and, but you, you just got to listen to him, you know, because he's, he's, he's directing the chorus you know what i mean he's like the, like you said yeah. take it to the bridge yeah. you know all right here comes the chorus mm -hmm. or whatever you know he was a band leader is yeah. what he was he was a very old-fashioned kind of in that way he would conduct the band um and he was the guy who you know you would look to for the changes and all of that and if yeah. you messed up then he'd, he'd get you and, and you'd get got and then you'd get docked right um so i'm out there listening to you know this performance and it's like i'm young music nerd i think this is pretty cool i think i was more at that time kind of into like incubus and like you know uh pod like system of a down i don't think i ever went the went down the pod road but um i was definitely into like harder kind of radio rock my both of my parents were actually opera singers huh. so i i grew up without like a um mentor for like popular music <laughs> i kind of had to find it myself uh both of my parents they looked at music as work and so then they were working on um whatever opera they were singing in or my dad was a choral conductor they mm -hmm. were studying you know, right, I wasn't yes. like listening for, for kicks. So I kind of had to find my way to my own musical taste, which meant that I had a couple of embarrassing years uh, where I was listening to, you know, <laughs> new metal and, you know, Limp Biscuit and things like that, which by the way, 
super stoked about the new Limp Biscuit record that just dropped. Oh, what? I didn't even know it was out. Oh, last, yeah. I mean, last Limp Biscuit news I heard was watching the Woodstock 99 documentary. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, they uh, apparently have a new album coming uh, that just came out called Limp Biscuit Still Sucks. And now <laughs> Fred Durst uh, is going with this kind of like dad vibe look. I don't oh, know if you've right. seen pictures of him where he's got like a fake gray wig on and like a gray mutton chop kind of situation. I mean, I remember and, like, when he wrote, he wrote a movie that John Travolta was in. Oh, boy. Was just, oh, yeah. There was a lot going on there. A lot going on there. Um, it's called The Fanatic or something like that. Yeah. It's about like a mentally disturbed uh, stalkery fan of an actor. And John Travolta really gives it his all. You can't, you can't, you can't, <laughs> can't say he didn't the do guy. that. Um, but anyway, so I wasn't like, I didn't fully appreciate, I don't think, what I was witnessing. Mm-hmm. Like I sort of maybe took it for granted a little bit and just looked at it as an, ex- as an excuse to kind of get away from work and kind of like, you know, not be... Uh, you know bossed around or whatever and right. just kind of like it was just more of like an escape but i was hearing them play and it was definitely cool and then i think i walked away because the thing that i'm the scene that i'm about to describe i did not hear <clears throat> firsthand I, I i what i'm about to describe i heard describes to me mm-hmm. when i went in so i couldn't have been standing out there listening the whole time because i didn't hear uh, any of this that i'm about to tell you right. so i I'm, I'm assuming that i walked away for whatever reason and I came back a little while later, and they were done. And the backstage door was open. There's like a big loading dock kind of situation in the back of the Imperial with like a, you know, one of those garage doors that kind of roll up and then like a ramp. Right. And I walked out on the stage, and, you know, a handful of the musicians are still there um, packing up their stuff. And in the spot where, where James Brown would have been singing you know he, he always used a straight microphone stand and he was he was known for like manipulating the mic stand and like mm-hmm. you know kicking it down and popping it back up with his foot or like doing little you know things that like prince would have kind of learned from him those yeah. kind of moves yeah. you know and everyone is gathered around not everyone but like a handful of people are gathered around this mic stand just like staring in awe and i'm kind of like i don't understand what's going on i get a little closer and i kind of peek through the crowd And I see that the mic stand, it's a straight mic stand. It's not sitting straight, though. It's sitting at this weird canted angle, Uh like, like, like it's tilted to the side it's it's resting on the edge of the round microphone stand base okay and it's sort of like a magic trick it's like what is keeping this thing from falling over i don't understand and and clearly a lot of other people didn't understand either because everyone's <laughs> looking at this thing you know with like wonder in their eyes and i and i'm i look a little closer and i realize that the the cord the mic cord had kind of wrapped itself around the base of the stand mm-hmm. in just such a way that it was like holding it up and, 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 and at this like canted angle. Yeah. And this is weird already. Right. So I go to my friend JJ. I'm like, what the hell is going on? What's, what's going on with this mic? And he's like, dude, it was insane. So they're like doing their big finale. And it's like, you know, uh, probably the beginning of which I had heard. And then I walked away for a bit and then came back. Yeah. Um, and James does this move where he spins around and he kicks the mic stand over and then he pops it back up with his foot. Mm-hmm. Like when the thing's like almost on the floor, he takes his foot and kicks it down onto the uh, base of the stand and it pops it back up straight. And he was known for doing that like several times in a row. He'd do a spin, pop it down, kick it back up. Do another spin, <laughs> pop it back down, kick it back up. And apparently, um, according to my friend JJ, on the third um, iteration of that, spin and kick down and pop back up, it stops halfway. <laughs> It stops halfway, and James Brown freaks out. He like he backs away from the mic stand. He he, he stops everybody. He stops the band from playing. He says, "Stop!" You know, everybody, everybody, you know, take five. Yeah. And he 
is clearly just like been spooked in a very real way by what has happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, his road manager, I believe it was his road manager, might have been his manager manager, but it's a guy named Ronnie Van Zant, which is the best name <laughs> for a you know musician adjacent, you know, kind of grizzled tour guy that could ever possibly be. Um, he apparently, my friend JJ hears all this transpire. He says he leaned into Ronnie and he goes, Ronnie, go get the flag. <laughs> and so, you know, there's that period of James Brown where he would do the thing with the uh, the cape, you know, yeah. and like he had he had this like hype band named um, uh, Donnie Danny Ray, who actually recently passed away. I, I, I knew Danny. Ray. I knew a lot of the people in his band. Mm-hmm. They were just around. They would they would shop at the music store. Like it was sort of like just he was just kind of a fixture, like the way Michael Stipe was a fixture in Athens, Georgia. Like kind mm-hmm. of James Brown was always kind of around. Yeah, the kind um, of way that like Andy Dick is a fixture of West Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Or even um, I forget the guy's name, but uh, he played Josh in the Office, who was kind of the boss of the um, the Stanford branch. Uh, who, like yeah. carried his bike into work, and Jim kind of like, had an affinity for him or whatever. Mm-hmm. That guy, whatever that actor's name is, he's also in the show called um, uh, Outer Banks. That's very popular. Uh-huh. He apparently, I was in Nashville for a conference recently and saw him at every bar. Every, and like and, and like, yeah, there's this really famous karaoke place in Nashville called Santa's. Yeah. It's like in a double wide trailer, and it's really really cool. Um, and he was there, and he sang Inner Sandman, and so he's like, you know, clearly. So anyway, James Brown was like that guy, right? Um, and Andy Dick uh, to <laughs> Augusta, Georgia. Right. Um, he didn't live in Augusta though. He lived in South Carolina. He lived in a little city called Beach Island, South Carolina, which is where his like, you know, James Brown estate was. But he all he had like a radio station that he owned in Augusta, and he was always just around my a good buddy of mine uh, named Coco had a venue called the soul bar that was obviously named after the godfather of soul and yeah. it was full of all this James Brown memorabilia and James I think got a kick out of the fa- I'm sorry Mr. Brown got a kick out of the fact that someone you know had made a bar in, in his basically hometown um, dedicated to him so he popped in every now and then and there's pictures of him and uh, my friend's daughter as she was growing up and oh. all of that very 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 cool but I had never seen the man Everybody I knew had seen him yeah. at some point or another where it's like, whether it's like in the grocery store or just somewhere, because Beach Island, there's not a lot going on. So he would probably, you know, it's very close. So he would probably go into town if he was doing it himself or like, you know, send somebody. But um, I had, everybody I knew had, had some James Brown story where they'd seen James Brown, they'd encountered James Brown. They said, oh, Mr. Brown, it's, a, it's such an honor to meet you. And he would just kind of mumble and like walk away. But everyone had a story <laughs> and I didn't have one. I never encountered him in the flesh right. um and even at this thing where i'm doing what i'm doing i still don't see james brown yeah. i see the aftermath of james brown i see his band <laughs> uh i see this weird mic stand you know um that's like sitting at this canted angle yeah. but james brown has left the building at yeah. this point Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. So he says to Ronnie Van Zant, you know, this is when I'm not there, go get the flag. Yeah. And JJ is picturing him bringing out some kind of glistening American flag, like, you know, uh, star-studded kind of rhinestone, you know, sequined rhinestone yeah. cape, right? Yeah. That he's going to drape over him or do some crazy thing. Um, that is not what, what Ronnie Van Zant uh, brought out. Um, Ronnie Van Zant brought out a tiny American flag on a stick like you'd buy it like a gift shop for yeah. you know uh, a national monument or something like right. you know what i mean like little fourth of july tiny, parade little fourth of july thing like the one that little evie waves around in uh, gray gardens if you've okay. ever seen that very similar to that um he gives it to, he gives it to james mr brown and then james holds it and leads everybody in the building the band everybody who's asked to stop playing in an acapella round of god bless america um and then you know that's that's what happened and i'm hearing this from jay i'm like what that's crazy what what i don't understand and then somebody else some older uh person um i don't remember if it was somebody with the theater or if it was somebody in the band or whatever they kind of clue us into what was really going on here um james is uh mr brown's previous wife had passed away not terribly, terribly long ago uh-huh. um, before this happened. And guess where they had her funeral? At that theater? At the Imperial Theater. Oh, my God. And her casket was laid in the exact place where his microphone stand was uh, situated. Wow. And, I mean, the only implication being that he had to have in some way thought that the ghost of his dead wife mm-hmm. was holding up that mic stand from beyond the grave. Yeah. Um, 
Now, he didn't ever say that, and, and it's just conjecture, but, I mean, he, he really looked at it like, you know, again, from, and I trust my friend, you know, implicitly. He he looked at this thing like he'd, you know, like he'd seen a ghost, yeah. I and mean, it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> um, and then he, you know, did all this kind of ceremonial stuff. Um I just think that's what it had to be, and and I and after I hear this, I'm like, holy cow, this is incredible. Um, at the time, I was, uh, I think this was, I think I was actually early college by this point, maybe, but I was only like around 18, mm. and I had a uh, like a Pentax uh, black and white, you know, um, 35 millimeter camera, and it was in my car, mm-hmm. and this is this was before smartphones, yeah. you know, this is like, so I ran to my car to get this this camera. My car was probably a block away. And um, I came back, and of course, in you know the taking down of all the stuff, and you know straightening up and getting things reset, the mic stand had been knocked back down to its uh, its oh. original straight up position. Damn it! Um, and then it was it was a handful of years later. I was I was still in college, but I for for a time. Um, I was actually an intern for public radio for Georgia Public Radio d- while I was still in college, and I was studying broadcast journalism. And I, I went, to, I got into University of Georgia for music, but I decided not to go because so many people that I knew, I, I was, I played in bands and kind of was always you know, into you know music. Like mm-hmm. I said, working at Jay's, everyone that I knew that went on to go to music school or study music academically ended up hating it. Or it ended up like sucking the joy out of you know music the same way working at the music store kind of sucked the joy out of music stores right, for me. Right. So I decided, you know what, maybe I'm going to go a different path. Um, so I studied broadcast journalism, went to my hometown university, um, and I you know interned there for a while as a kind of out answer phones during um, requests, like a classical music request show. My boss was this old dude named Alan Cook, who I adore uh, very much to this day. Mm-hmm. He was like a former, he used to write jingles, like in um, uh, St. Louis was a big jingle town, like uh-huh. in the fifties or something. <laughs> and he was an excellent guitarist and just a really cool dude and, and had this classical music request show. And my job was to answer the phones. These little blue hair ladies would call in and, and make their requests for like, you know, um, the Firebird Suite and you know, very obvious things every single week, and I would write it down on a little sticky note and run it into his uh, his booth and stick it on the desk, and he'd play the request. Um, eventually, Georgia Public Broadcasting decided they wanted to do news out of all of their bureaus, uh-huh. uh, and Augusta was one of them. And Alan was like about to retire. He's like, I'm not doing that. Um, Noel, you figure out how to do news for these radio people, and so I would do little news packages and you know, get Vox pop. They called it like tape man on the street sound. And, you know, during elections, local elections and things like that. And occasionally if a big story happened in little old Augusta, like the now I would cover the masters and do little packages for, you know, NPR sports. Like I got a few pieces on NPR, Mm -hmm. uh, but the, my big break, I guess you could say is when Mr. James Brown passed away Mm -hmm. uh, on Christmas day of, I don't, fully recall what year it was let's look it up just so i can sound smart um james brown i'm gonna guess 2012 it was 20 no it was 2006 oh i was way off he died on december 25th of 2006 uh at emory university hospital in atlanta and there was all this crazy controversy around his death because he was infamous for kind of not having his shit together in terms of like business type stuff like he 
should have and could have made way more money than he did if he had had like some higher powered, you know, entertainment agency yeah. looking after his interests. But he always just had friends and local people. And I think people were like robbing from the kitty and things yeah. like that. And it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation. And also, he, cocaine's a hell of a drug. No doubt. And I'm pretty sure he was rocking, no pun intended, that stuff. Yeah. Pun totally intended after the fact. No. Uh, till till he passed. Um, I don't rec- I don't recall why how he passed. It was a heart attack and fluid in his lungs, according to the internet, which could be the kind of thing that would be, you know, a uh, byproduct of drug abuse for many, many years. I mean, he, I he mean, worked very hard on stage, too. I mean, I'm sure his he heart... Absolutely. He put his heart into every. He put his heart he into everything, and he also gave his heart quite the workout. Yeah. Um, he, he was into, like, PCP and stuff. I mean, there's a video... There was a whole thing, I don't know if you remember, where he, like, went on a high-speed police chase after he, like, shot up his business office, which was in Augusta, and, like, you know, the police chased him and shot his tires out, and he just kept driving, uh, <laughs> and he was apparently on PCP when that happened, but... Anyway, so I got to cover his passing, and mm-hmm. NPR wanted quite a few pieces on that. The guy's like a legend, you know. I mean, yeah. all, all, all his civil rights activism, and like I mean, everything about his, this man and his career aligned with all of that stuff. Best friends with like Reverend Al Sharpton, mm-hmm. and like you know, influence on Michael Jackson and and, and Prince, and you know, countless. Like I mean, there'd be you no know, like Rolling Stones, yeah. you know, if there wasn't for James Brown. He was like not only was he the Godfather of Soul, in many ways he like. And reinvented, or maybe even kind of invented the what we know today as like rock and roll, yeah. you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so I covered his funeral, uh, and it was at our local arena, which they had actually renamed. Not ter- I think it was before he passed, renamed the James Brown Arena, and it's the kind of you know municipal, big old indoor concrete, pretty hideous arena, but. It was. It needed to be held in an arena because it was James Brown, yeah, and right. like thousands and thousands and thousands of people wanted to be there. Um, Michael Jackson was there. He was surrounded by all these like Nation of Islam dudes with these like uh, little bow ties, and it was the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> Bootsy Collins was there. Mick Jagger was there. Like all of these luminaries were yeah. there. Al Sharpton, Dick Gregory did it. Did a did a talk or a, a eulogy. But Michael Jackson. Got up there and like seeing Michael Jackson walk into a room like that and talk, it was sort of like if you saw like Scooby Doo walk into a room, you know, or like seriously, it was just like uncanny valley. And I'm not speaking about his, uh, his, you know, plastic surgery. It was just he's so loomed so large that to see a person like that that you only know from pop culture and television and stuff, like as in the flesh, it was very surreal. Yeah. Um, and James Brown's body was laid out in this casket, it was open, open casket. Um, and that's the only time I ever saw James Brown. <laughs> oh, no. Was uh was in his casket. Oh man. I uh I mean the the notion of haunting a theater is right. uh is if I were a ghost, I would absolutely haunt a theater. Sure. Um and I would be a very critical ghost, I feel too. I would kind of boo at, you know, everything that was going on. Or yeah, or at the very least, just make the lights flicker, you know, in Morse code saying this sucks. Um, <laughs> I w- isn't I, that I mean, trippy though, man? Like, I mean, I, I I grew up surrounded by this dude. Yeah, everything like in my town, like the the bar, Soul Bar. I, that's where I got cut my teeth playing gigs and playing in like you know indie indie rock bands. Uh, never saw him in person. 
adjacent to this event with this microphone stand. Never actually saw him. Everybody I knew saw him. I only finally see him laying dead in his casket. And, but, and you know, it was actually an important moment for my career because you know, I'm a podcast producer, and, and that all came from my work with public radio. And if it wasn't for you know, the James Brown thing, definitely got me more uh, gigs and more clout and the fact that I had, you know, had pieces on NPR and they started using me more because they were aware of me at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's all just very serendipitous and, and, and fascinating to me. Well, at least you got to finally see him, you know, at least it was an open casket. If it was a closed casket, then, you know, you never would have, yeah. you never would have seen him. Seen them. He was very shiny. I remember that. <laughs> then there was a whole thing where they didn't bury him for weeks. They had him like laying in like cryostasis or something like that. Like, cause there was like the family was arguing, like I was talking about earlier with like all, you know, his affairs were not in order as they say. And the family was like arguing over whatever, like who owned what, what, and I don't, for whatever reason, they didn't bury him for a really long time. And I remember that being the source of quite a few conspiracy theories. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a documentary uh, maybe it's not out yet, but it was something to do with CNN um, mm-hmm. about this whole, you know, uh, controversy. And like, it, did he? Did they ever really bury him? Is he still like laying out, you know, <laughs> frozen in someone's basement? Even in death, he's still the hardest working man in showbiz. Exactly. Yeah. So, of that that whole experience, what did what would you say that you? How were you changed after? What did you learn? What did you take away? From it. Well, it's you know it's weird. Like I'm, I'm one of the one of the things I do for for work is a, a critical thinking approach to conspiracy uh, podcasts. So right. I'm always you know up against the idea of are there ghosts? Is there an afterlife? You know, are there uh, extraterrestrials or you know other extra um, dimensional beings? Right, and I don't know, like. You can explain away what happened with that mic stand. You can you can totally dissect it down to um, it was this mic cord wrapped around the base of it. But I've never seen anything like that happen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I'm sure if you tried to do it a million never, times again, never the odds of it never make it never yeah. make it happen. Um, so yeah, it definitely left me with a sense of wonderment about that stuff. But also, I think what I just said it left me with a sense of like. Okay, I think sometimes things happen for a reason, mm-hmm. um, serendipitously or or whatever. Like all of that stuff and all of that experience, working at Jay's, you know, being there for all of that, having that experience, leading to me kind of coming full circle with me covering his funeral for public radio, all kind of led to where I am today, and it's sort of made me open to experiences mm-hmm. and I was just being kind of like on the lookout for not on the lookout. Cause that sort of like cheapens it, but just like being, I think it's just as simple as just being open to experiences and just letting things kind of wash over you and letting things happen and not trying to always control everything or like could, you know, because at the end of the day, what, what will be will be. And mm-hmm. if you can just be ready to kind of bob and weave and, you know, adapt, uh, chances are you can make a good go out of whatever happens to you. But um, I, I have found that I've been throughout my career and my life exposed to these kind of oddball situations that because I was open to them kind of led me to other interesting things. Yeah. So I think it's that. Well, I love that. I, I mean, I often, I often, uh, my brain immediately starts to want to, uh, pick things apart or figure them out and then i have to go wait just just enjoy that thing before you try and you know mm-hmm. get down to the fundamentals of it and figure out how that magic trick works can't we just enjoy the magic trick 
Yeah. Yeah. And sure, I mean, it's fun to figure out how to do magic tricks yourself, you mm-hmm. know, uh, or, or like learn, you know, the secrets behind things. But also, like I said, when I worked at the music store, it made me kind of like music stores less because I knew too much about how everything went into it and, right. and it wasn't fun. I wish or, I wish that happened to me because my first job was an ice cream shop and it did not have that effect. Well, that's fair. I mean, I think I think you also didn't have to hang out with a with a uh, nightmare woman checking in, you know, boxes of guitar cables for thirteen hours a day. What, what um, if she was my boss too? Wouldn't that be weird? That would have been wild. She'd be like, no, "Okay, no. count the chocolate chips in." Exactly. Start no, over. She she would have done it. She would have done it. She, they also like sent us uh, they sent us kids out for food. For, to, they never cooked, so we, we always just would like go and get her the same meal every day from this deli mm-hmm. uh, called the Sunshine Bakery every single day. Um, I could tell a million stories about Jay's in and of itself, but this is kind of the central one for me, the sort of defining one. And like I said, now it's gone. Um, the Masters uh, the, or the Augusta National is kind of bulldozed or turned into masters adjacent properties everything right. that's around there uh, on washington road you guys Augusta. needed to do a, like a concert to raise money to save jays nobody and, wanted uh, to save jays <laughs> <laughs> they had a bad rep they were uh they were not the best folks um in terms of like just just trying to put one over on people a lot of the time like they would try to sell you something for the you know what the list price was right. as opposed to and acting like they were doing you a solid because this is also before the days of like um musicians friend and catalogs and boy when the internet and those came along they were not happy because yeah. it took the power right out of their hands and oh, they yeah. had to like match prices and stuff and so i think they saw the end in sight at least as far as their uh, business model was concerned Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. 
That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Welcome back. So I've got another story from you from our live Storyoki event that we did in New York City. And this one's from Tamara Davis, who, in my opinion, was the hardest working person in Times Square. All right. So this story is kind of two birds, one stone, because this is not only the story of the worst job I ever had. This is the story of when I got robbed in the middle of Times Square. And if you guys know anything about Times Square, you know how sometimes they have the cops with the bazookas and the AK-47s. For whatever reason, on this particular day, they were not there. And they were completely ghosts, so I was on my own. Uh, And this is also technically my first job. I worked for a tourism company in New York City. So they did like hop, hop on, hop off tours. Typical tourist trap where like the top of the bus was open and you could gaze up at all the overpriced real estate and like take pictures. So I didn't work on the street, you know, the ones that harass tourists, like, oh, you want to buy a ticket? No. I worked inside the office where if you bought a ticket online, you had to bring a voucher to the office so that we could exchange it for the real ticket. A really antiquated system. So antiquated that we actually didn't have registers. So we didn't have change. So if you didn't have card or exact change, we either sent you, really sorry, or we ourselves had to go out and find change. We had a location in, (laughs) yeah, I know. We had a location in Port Authority bus terminal, and it was just me and my coworker there. And I told her, you know what, you stay here, I'll take this $100 bill, and I'll go get us change. (laughs) So I went to Duane Reed. It was right across the street from Port Authority. It's still there. Fuck that Duane Reed. Anyway, I went to the, I went to the, the, the cashier and I said, do you have change for a hundred dollars? And at the counter was this guy who I actually subconsciously thought was the manager because he was dressed very like professional and he had like, he had a lanyard with like his ID on it. And so I said to the cashier, do you have change? She didn't really say anything to me. She just kind of looked at the guy. And the guy was like, you need change? And I was like, yeah. And so he's like, okay, cool. And so he takes the $100 bill and he starts walking. And I think he's walking behind the desk to the register to get change. But like he keeps walking, like towards the door. (laughs) And so... Quickly, I'm like, the fuck? So I go, and I'm like, my guy, where are you going? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, my change. He's like, you didn't give me any money. I'm like, oh, hell no. So he walks out, right? And I'm like, dude, my $100 bill, where are you going with my $100 bill? He's like, I didn't take no $100 bill from you. What are you talking about? And so I'm like, dude, you have my money, and I want it. And so he's not really having that. He walks out into traffic, like, trying to get away from me, like, with full-on car you guys have been in Times Square full-on cars coming he does not care he's willing to die for this hundred dollar bill and I was I guess I was willing to die too because I followed him and he's walking into traffic and I'm like dude there's this traffic cop right that we come when we get to the other side there's this traffic cop there I'm like this guy just stole a hundred dollars from me 
And the traffic cop is like, well, I can't really leave my post. And he says to the guy, did you take the $100? And the guy's like, I didn't take any money. You can search me. And I said, well, I'm not touching you. That's number one. Number two, you definitely did. And I, I want my money or I'm going to call the cops on you, bottom line. He's like, okay, call the cops. And I guess he thought I was bluffing, but I called his bluff. And I pull out my phone and I start calling the cops. So he's like, naturally, he's like, oh, shit. So he starts running away. The traffic cop already told me he can't really do anything. He has to stay where he is. So I start chasing him. Mind you, at this point, this isn't even my money. This is the company's money. I'm employee of the month after this for the worst job of my life. It's the company's money, but like, I, I'm like, the guy just took $100 from me. Also, technically, it's my money, because at this job, if you are short money, they make you pay it back. And I really was just not doing that. So I was like, okay, I need to get this $100 back. So I'm on the phone with 911, saying that this guy just, I'm in the middle of the type of square, and this guy just stole $100 from me. And I'm like following him, and he's like trying to get away from me. And so the, co the people on the phone are completely incompetent. They're like, wait, where are you? What street? Wait, but where are you in front of? And I'm like, oh my goodness, NYPD, so useless. And so he stops at this random like smoke shop and he goes inside. And I'm like, okay. And then he's telling me, come inside the smoke shop. And I'm like, no. Why would I do that? I'm going to stay here on phone with 911, and I'm going to tell them to come to the smoke shop. So I guess he realizes that I'm really not going to uh, come into the smoke shop for whatever he's trying to pull. So he runs out the store, he punches me in the face, and he takes off, he bolts. He takes off running. And I'm like, oh, hell no. So I take off running, <laughs> I take off running after him, right? I'm employee of the month. Oh my goodness. I take off running after him. And I was, ooh, I was about to, ugh. If I got my hands on him, I was about, I was prepared to fight. So he's running. He runs into the subway, right? Hops the turnstile, gets on the train that happens to be there. Fuck the MTA. Happens to be there. Trains, ding, ding. Doors close. He's gone. Five minutes later, the cops show up at the train station. And they're like, where's the guy? And I'm like, First of all, where were you? Second of all, he's gone. He hopped on the train and they were like, oh yeah, sorry, uh, I don't know what to tell you, I guess he's gone. And I'm like, what? And so I'm like, we can go to the Dwayne Reed and get the security footage and see like who the guy is. And so we go to the Dwayne Reed and the manager doesn't really want to give us the security footage because she doesn't really want to be liable for what happened in the store. And so she's like, oh, I don't really want to. And then I'm like, you really need to give security footage. The cops aren't really having it. And then they get the security footage and they're like, okay, my manager for my job comes to the Dwayne Reed because obviously I've been gone for like an hour at this point. And he's like, what the fuck is, where are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in Dwayne Reed because I got robbed and like we need the security footage of the guy. And he's like, huh? So he comes to the Dwayne Reed and he's like, so what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I have to file a police report. And then if they can find him, then it is what it is. And he looks at me deadpan and he goes, you know, that's a shortage, right? Uh, a shortage meaning I have to pay the $100. And I said, go fuck yourself. That's a shortage? And he was like, yeah, you, it's a shortage. I said, I'm not paying that. And he's like, okay, we'll see. So he sends it up the chain with the, with the story and everything, and I guess the higher-ups get back and they're like, yeah, she has to pay $100 for the shortage.
because she got robbed. And I was like, well, I'm really not paying that. That's not fair. And my manager goes, well, whether you like it or not, you have to pay it. And I'm like, well, whether you like it or not, I quit. And he was like, huh? He was like, huh? I was like, I spoke English. Whether you like it or not, I quit. And he's like, no, wait, 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 wait. Because this job has very high turnover. At that point, I'd been there four years. I don't know how I did. I must be a masochist. At that point, I'd been there four years. It's still my longest job ever. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you, you don't have to quit. We'll ask about it. A week goes by, they're trying to negotiate, like, oh, she doesn't have to pay it. But the higher-ups are like, no, we want our $100. And I'm like, well, you just lost your best employee for $100. So I quit the job, needless to say. Um, and the day that I quit, I walked out. I went back to Port Authority where one of my other coworkers and one of my best friends was working. And then I show up and she's like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I quit. So <laughs> I'm here to just hang out with you for the rest of your shift. And then we're going to go get drinks and we're going to celebrate because fuck this job. I'm not going to say the company, but they went out of business and they kind of deserved it. But that's my story. Wow. Yeah, seriously. Uh Employee of the year, I think, was, was said over there. Um, I wonder where that guy is today. Maybe he's outside. Wow, I learned a lot from that story. Mainly, fuck Dwayne Reed, fuck the cops, fuck the MTA, fuck that company, and fuck that guy. That guy needs to pay for what he did. There's got to be a way we can, you know, bring him to justice. Maybe he's listening right now. Hey, guy who stole $100 and punched Tamara in the face. I, I, here's what I want you to do if you're listening, guy. I want you to go follow us on Instagram right now and turn yourself in via the DMs. I don't know if that's going to work. Um, what about all you like true crime armchair detectives out there? Can't you help track this scumbag down? Oh, my God. Did we just start a fable baby crime fighting division? <gasps> Am I the Batman of podcasts now? <gasps> Podman. Or is it the Batcast? Hey, Seth Rogen, guess what? You can have story time because we're changing the name of the podcast again to hashtag vengeance time. Oh, yeah. I'd listen to the shit out of that podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to the shit out of this podcast. I'd love to give another huge shout out and thanks to Noel Brown for being on the podcast and sharing his story. As always, you can find all the links to the stuff he has going on in the description. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps us out a ton. And I literally read every single one of them. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of next week's episode with the Pointer Brothers. Here's a sneaky little peeky. So we show up to this house and... We, there's a, um, like a garage door, right? We open the garage door and you can't see more than like a foot and a half in front of you. And you're immediately smacked in the face with this smell that I can't even describe. I don't know. I don't know if it's old food, if it's moldy something, if it's like a dead animal, like you, I have Probably no idea what this smell was. And neither one of us, we, we had no idea what we were getting into. And this was just the garage door. Hashtag Storytime is produced by iHeartRadio and Curativity Productions. Hosted by Will McFadden. Sound designed by Tony Maddox. Written by Will McFadden and Jason Shapiro. Produced by Jason Shapiro, Daniela Mora, and Jordan Elijah Michael. Theme song by Scott Simons. Artwork by John Kusagai.
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.